Thank you so much, Pastor Kenneth, for reading God's Word for us. And thank you all for tuning in to listen to God's Word. We do live in a world which is uncertain, a world which is insecure, a world that is worrying. But as we come to listen to God's Word, may the Spirit of God steady our hearts and our spirits. And so the state of the world now, what is the state of the world now? There are so many competing ideas of how best to overcome this global problem that we face with COVID-19. And so with competing ideas, competing wills, and did you hear about this lady in, in Australia? I think in the city of Toowoomba. And she, like many of us, was concerned about toilet rolls. Her name is um, Heidi Janetsky. Heidi Janetsky. And she had gone online to order her supply of toilet rolls, and she ordered a box of 48 rolls. But the order was taken wrongly, and so she had 48 boxes. And so this is how it looked, if I don't get it wrong. Let's see whether the slide comes up. Next one. There she is, if you can catch her. With all the boxes behind her, lined up like a throne, and so they call her the queen of toilet rolls. So imagine now she has 48 boxes of 48 rolls in each box. And so she became a laughing stock, but after this, she wasn't a laughing stock because lots of people wanted to buy what she had. And so here are some things that, are, that go on in our world. What's happening now? More recently, all around us, in Australia, I just read that the police had to be called in at their most famous beach, Bondi Beach or Bondi Beach. Why? Because people would not observe the new ruling of not more than 500 people, 500 people at a public place. And so police had to take action. And in the words of one of the ministers who were there, people are ignoring social distancing. The decisions we make today can be life and death for other people in a few days. And I'm sure you would have seen pictures. Pictures of what? I saw one in which two young folk were sharing a drink and no fear. Friends, the world that we live in today is not such a reckless world, should not be such a reckless world. If we carry on this way, the hospital systems collapse, our nations collapse. And so our neighbouring country, Malaysia, has gone for what they call a movement control order. So for 14 days, for two weeks, a total shutdown of businesses and people are just told a simple message in two words, stay home, stay home. So how on earth are you going to implement this? How on earth are you going to monitor this? And this is what we got, that they caught photos of this man in a mask as part of the implementation of this, and he turns out to be the Agong or the king of Malaysia. So he's been going around making sure that the citizens of the country understand the gravity of the situation. And so from country to country, from region to region, from continent to continent, there are different ideas of how we should proceed. And so in that way, as we go to this, some people have a laissez-faire attitude, some people have a very careful attitude, a responsible attitude. So it's my will versus your will. It's your will versus my will. 
And once you understand that, we can understand the substance of what we just read in Genesis chapter 11, in what we very famously call the Tower of Babel. And it's basically a tale of two cities. So for the sake of all who tune in at different times, those who are more regular, so be patient with me as I rehearse one more time about the storyline of Genesis up to this point. Genesis is about is the book of beginnings. Without this book, the rest of, not the Bible, the rest of your life and my life will be disconnected. So I highly commend that you read this first book of the Bible that will give you an understanding of how, why God created the heavens and the earth. Then in chapter 2, why He made men and women in His image. It was for a very simple purpose, a big B word, to bless us, to bless us. And He gives us the mandate to rule the world on His behalf, to go forth, multiply and fill the earth. But instead of listening to the good heart of God, He made us in His image. There is nothing else in the whole of creation that is made in God's image except men and women. But we would not listen to His good heart and His good purposes, which is to bless us, which is to invite us to rule the world on His behalf. We chose to listen to the serpent. Speak an alternative word that even if we rebel against God, we will not surely die. When God said, if we live in rebellion to His word, and His will, we will surely die. And so from chapters 4 and 5 onwards, the start of family sin, where Cain killed Abel, his brother. You want to see sin? You see it in families. And so anybody who doesn't belong to a dysfunctional family, it's called a miracle. It's called unreal. Ever since the fall in Genesis 3, you and me live with broken homes, broken lives, broken relationships. We are all dysfunctional. And so family sin leading to death, then global sin in Genesis chapter 6, where the whole human race is described by God during Noah's generation as what? As every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. And then against that hopeless situation, the first hint of hope in the person and the name of Noah, comfort and rest the meaning of Noah's name, telling us that God, when He brought the flood to wipe out the whole of humanity at that time, would work through a man who walked with God, whose name was Noah. But after the flood, we find that Noah is still the same. And the description of humanity is, we are evil from youth. And so we now arrive at Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. And what does that mean? It says the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shina or Shina and settled there. Verse 3, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So, Genesis 11, meaning of that? Stay with me. It goes on to verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. A city, and in that city, a tower with its top 
that reaches to the heavens, in the heavens literally, and third time, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. The instructive, important thing to realise is this phrase, come, let us. So if we're reading from chapter 1, the first person, the original speaker of come, let us, is none other than God himself. And so in Genesis chapter 1, it was God who said, come, let us make men in our image after our likeness. So we trace the storyline from Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 11. What's happening here? What are the similarities? What are the, what are the contrasts? What are the lessons for us? Come, let us is a picture of united humanity, united in mimicking God, not in a good way, in united in being wise in our own eyes, united in being autonomous and rebellious against God. And so come let us, is us usurping God's place, trying to be like little G-gods in our life. And so all those years ago, when, when I was studying in Australia, there was a program that they ran, uh, there was an advert that they ran, a commercial that they ran, against smoking, because smoking was a huge problem. And they had, uh, they, they film a few young children, I don't know, seven years old, eight years old, right, dressed in adult clothing, in shirt and tie, and just puffing away. And the message was literally, monkey see, monkey do. They, they, they watch this in their parents, they watch this in adults, and they think, if adults can do it, it must be good for us. It's a very strong message. That's the wrong, it's negative mimicking. What we have here in Genesis 11 is negative mimicking of God. And so, what is the important spiritual truth and lesson for us? From Babel will come the latter cities of Babylon. And so, the three main characteristics, or the four main characteristics, from Babel to Babylon in the Bible, is that they are all self-made. This is let us, from our perspective, from our ambition, from our pride, self-rule, let us, ourselves. And so this is the original do-it-yourself DNA. Each one of us wanting to live our life our own way. And notice they use, the resources that they use were not God-given natural resources, stone. They made bricks and mortar. And mortar is a man-made sealant. And that's quite important in, against the backdrop of Noah's Ark, which was all sealed, built and sealed by God's initiative and God's resources. And so when you add it all together, let us, let us, it's all about us, independent of God, trying to do what God intended to do for us. Let us make a name for ourselves. We sense a very important message for us. There, it is not possible for us to bless ourselves. Blessing belongs to God, comes from God, because He's a loving God, He's a gracious God, He's a, He's a merciful God. So whenever we try to make a name for ourselves, whenever we try to favour ourselves and bless ourselves, that is the very heart of human rebellion. So, from Babel to Babylon, did you notice 
that the first mention of cities here in Genesis 11, nope, let me correct myself. The first mention of cities, you've been following this, is actually Cain. After he murdered his brother Abel, he was punished by God to be a wanderer all his life. He was cursed by God to be a wanderer all his life. But what does Cain and his wife do? They go out, they multiply, they never acknowledge the child comes from God, their children come from God. There is a total absence of God in Cain's life and line, and they build a city. From that point onwards, from Cain to Noah's generation, not Noah himself, to Babel here in Genesis 11, cities in the Bible are truly anti-God, anti the person of God, anti the purposes of God, and anti the people of God. And that's a recurring theme. And cities become a way beginning with Cain. Why does Cain build a city? It was to hide his sin. It was to challenge God. So God has cursed me. It was to reverse God's punishment upon him. So look at all the glittering cities that we build. From the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere, from the New Yorks to the Sydney, from the East to the West, from America to Africa to Asia, all our man-made cities have one thing. We think our skyscrapers and our cities really will boast the, the pride of men, the power of men to live without God. And so we run a ministry here we launched about two years ago. It's called the Adam Road Marketplace Ministry. And as part of the ministry, we have lunchtime talks. And as we go out to the heartbeat of the city, the financial city of the financial city, a financial center of the city and country, we get people coming in their business suits, right? Uh, men and women. But we remind ourselves that in all our workplaces and our marketplaces, underneath the men and women in their Porsche and powerful business suit is simply a person from a, broke, from a dysfunctional family with a broken heart, with broken relationships. And there are lonely people underneath that veneer, underneath that image of having made it academically, having arrived at some position in their companies. They are looking for, they are looking for answers to their questions. They are looking for solutions to their problems underneath that veneer of a business suit and position. They are looking for people to love. They are looking for pleasures to enjoy. They are people looking for God. And that's what we need to remember, friends, that no matter how high our towers are, we, it will never cover our brokenness in having a broken relationship with God. So did you notice God's response to Babel? God's response to Babel, this very high towers, and I said last week, if you go back and listen to the podcast or the live stream, it's very hard to find the tallest building of the world. You know why? Because every year, a new building comes up all the way from Dubai to Shanghai and everything in between that will try to be a few meters taller than the other to reach to the heavens. So years ago, I went to Shanghai and said, this is the tallest building. Years ago, I went to the Twin Towers in Kuala Lumpur. This is the tallest building. Years ago, we went to Dubai. It keeps changing. How many of you are afraid of heights? 
my late elder sister was afraid of heights. And so when she came for her visit, one of her last visits, we brought her to one of the most famous places, if you're tuning this from overseas, it's Gardens by the Bay. And Gardens by the Bay are the largest air-conditioned gardens of the world. They have two domes there. There's the Flower Dome and there's the, uh, what was the other dome? The Cloud Dome, I just checked with the audience. And so that Cloud Dome, uh, we walked in, I, I don't know, maybe it's six stories high, eight stories high. So when my sister and me arrived there, she said, I'm afraid. But I said, hey, it's only about six stories, sister. I said, no, hold my hand. <laughs> six stories, and we looked down and said, wow, it's so high, and they are so small. Imagine on a hundred-story building, it's so high. That's from the human perspective. When we look up, we crane our necks, we strain our necks, and we say, my goodness, isn't this grand? Isn't this, isn't this marvellous? Our, our intelligence and our technology. But from God's perspective, He had to literally stoop down and come down. Far from reaching God, God has to make the way down. So from God's perspective, what we think is grand and tall and towering and glittering is tiny and puny to Him. Totally different perspectives. And so, and so, very important, we get this right. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And God says nothing that they propose, propose to do will now be impossible for them. So, a few things to take note. The Lord came down from our perspective so grand, from His perspective top-down, so tiny, so puny. Though you put all your resources, all your best resources, and put in all your energies, and friends, let me just make a point. In all our city building, it will be frantic activity, it will be the best resources, but from God's perspective, it will amount to tiny, puny. And so God comes down, and He, is He a gate crasher? Is He a party pooper? And actually, you have seen this pattern all the way from where? From Genesis chapter 3. Eve had just rebelled against God. And she thought that the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil would make her wise. And it, it was okay until God came along and said, what, have, what is it that you have done? Cain had just murdered his brother. And it seemed okay until God came and asked Cain, what on earth have you done? Where is your brother? It's not as if he doesn't know. And then here, and then with Noah and his generation, God looks down and pronounces, the whole generation is only evil all the time. Did you notice? When we live in sin, we actually glory in that sin and we enjoy that sin. All the way from our sexual sin of pornography to our relational sins of gossip, of malice, all the way to our anger, all the way to getting our way in life, we actually busk, we actually enjoy us being in charge of our life. Until God gate crashes and says, do you know what you're doing with your life, Andrew? Do you know what you're doing with your life, Marie? Do you know what you're doing with your life, Jeff? Do you know what you're doing right now? God intervenes. If you read in the Bible, King David was doing okay 
until one spring day, he so happened not to be out at war with his forces, prosecuting a holy war on God's behalf, and he saw the form of a woman bathing. And he was tempted. And so he called her, he slept with her, she became pregnant. And so he tried to blame it on her husband, and he planned for his murder. And it all went okay. It all went okay. Until in the next chapter, God sent his servant, the prophet Nathan, and said, this is what you have done. When we sin in life, God will give you a fuse. And that fuse is to run out your time that you think you can do sin with no repercussions. But in his perfect time, he will enter and stop you. And so you need to ask the question, and I need to ask the question, when God does that, what do you think about him? You see, the great gatecrasher of our life, the party spoiler, the party pooper of our life, or God's response to Babel. They have one language, and God says, this is only the beginning, and if they carry on with this, there is nothing impossible for them. When you put all the language together, what God was against wasn't their one language, wasn't their unity. They used their oneness or their unity in sin, and they used their oneness and their unity to sin against God. Maybe like the crowds at Bondi Beach, maybe the young people who are now taking selfies, that who says we should partake in social distancing? Who says we will sin? Who says we can? Who says we will? there are any repercussions to this? Who says? The virus says. And so we deal with, uh, if, we, if God allowed us to carry on with this, He would allow us to carry on with unlimited pride, unbridled ambition, that means unchecked, and unlimited godlessness and sinfulness. When God says this, the language doesn't mean, doesn't hint that this God is insecure. If they do this, there's nothing impossible for them. They will, they will actually usurp my place. I will not have a job. God is not saying that. If I allow this to happen, there will be limitless sinfulness because men and women will be out of control, totally out of control. So God, in His goodness and His kindness, comes and confuses the language. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language. So God is back to His original position. It is Him who says in creation, come, let us. And now God has taken back the reins, the authority, come, let us. There's a purpose for the confusion of language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth. That sounds like, that sounds like being dispersed over the face of the whole earth was God's original intention. Go forth, multiply, fill the earth. Go forth, multiply, fill the earth and rule it on God's behalf. And notice, they left off the building the city. They left off building the city, which means, can you mentally picture, it was a half-built, it was half-built tower. 
it was a hub-built city. And surely, as tourists around the world, you may have gone and say, whoa, it's a waste. This is a half-built tower. I wonder what went, wrong, what went wrong. The contractor went bankrupt. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. Lessons we need to draw? Why did God confuse their language? So, quoting from a writer, he says that God gave mutual incomprehension. That means they cannot understand each other. In the local, in the local dialect of, of Chinese here, look, Kong see me, I can't understand. What are you talking about? Mutual incomprehension is better than mutual united sinfulness and godlessness. So God puts in the mutual incomprehension. So God confuses us to stop our united corruption. He confuses us to prevent our unlimited sin. Then He disperses us to do what? He confuses us, our language, so that it will stop or prevent our total corruption. Then He disperses us to fulfill His original purpose. This is the great and mighty God who will not be stifled, who will not be derailed, who will not be detoured by man's tiny, puny efforts to build cities and to build towers, to usurp His place and to challenge Him. And so, no matter how many Google translates you have, it is still true that we will never fully understand each other. And we do not fully understand each other because of the languages so that we will not be in unlimited rebellion against God forever. So that's God's response to Babel. We need to back away at this point in hearing that the spiritual truths and the spiritual lessons, what should be our response to this? Is God an unwelcome gatecrasher to your life? Or is God a gracious intervention to your life? And we need to understand and we need to un answer this, each and all of us. And so in our work as pastors, we deal with brokenness, dysfunction is the psychological word. We, need, we deal with people being discovered in their sin all the time, day by day, week by week, in relationships, in marriages and in family. Let's go for this global curse that we, we, we must keep addressing because it's making, it's making vegetables and it's making addicts of people again all over the world, regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of gender. Pornography. If God so happens to stop you in your tracks of pornography, do you consider Him an unwelcome gatecrasher to you or a gracious intervention to you? I remember when I was taking my sabbatical in America and I was on a fellowship with Harvard University and they discovered that one of the heads of the school, he had to call in the IT department of the university because his computer, his university computer terminal at the time crashed and it crashed and when they came to try and sort it out, he had tons and tons of pornography that led to his dismissal. Would you consider that an intervention from God 
or interference from God. So I want to ask of you, of your phones, if you left it there for anybody to look at, what would they find you looking at? Two hours in the day, three hours in the day. I do not know, I just checked my phone and it just told me I spent about four hours yesterday WhatsApping messages. Right? Because there's so much decision-making to make. As the situation changes here, I said, as I look at that, wow, four hours just trying to sort things out from the different groups. Boy, I need to do something about this. I wasn't doing anything wrong with my phone by the grace of God. Are you? So when God enters your life, is He a party pooper or is He a rescuer and a saviour to you? And then from this point onwards, we have to summarise very quickly. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Apashat, two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Apashat 500 years and other sons and daughters. We have to go and fast forward to verse 27. And now it moves from Shem's descendants to Terah's descendants. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. And I've bold all the names there because these are very important names that the rest of Genesis and the rest of the Bible will hinge on, especially the name of Abram. Haran died. When? How? Notice places, notice people. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred. So son dies before father. Hardest thing for a parent to deal with is the death of a child. We expect parents to pass on. We don't expect children to pass on before us. And where did this happen? In Ur of the Chaldeans. And then verse 29, and Abraham Nahor took wives. Very important now. We move from places to people and people and their wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishkah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abraham his son and Lot the son of Haran, who had died, his grandson, and Sarai, his granddaughter, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans. To go where? To go into the land of Canaan. And if you remember the account from chapter 10, Canaan is descendant of Ham, and everything to do with Ham and Canaan would turn out to be enemies of God and enemies of God's people and God's nation, Israel, in the Old Testament. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So the ultimate destination was Canaan. But they settled in Haran, and verse 32, how chapter 11 ends. The days of Terah was 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So, places, people, what's the point? Places, people, What's the point for us? Very important lessons for us. Please take note. So the Lord, in verse 8, dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. And so Tower of Babel, 
It's man's unfinished story of rebellion against God, of autonomy against God, of independence against God. It's man's unfinished story of sin against God, and it's left off there. But then the author now traces down, traces down Noah's line through Shem and particularly Terah, because from him will come the forefather of Israel, Abram. Terah died in Haran. This, on the other hand, is God's unfinished story of what? It will be God's unfinished story to reverse men's rebellion. So by the time you read to the end of chapter 11, there are two unfinished stories. I'm not finished. Basically, it's saying, if you don't understand, I'm not finished rebelling against God. That's your life and my life. I'm not finished rebelling against God, sinning against God from Monday to Sunday, from morning to night. But parallel to your experience and my experience and your story and my story is God is saying to us in His, in His Word, the Bible, so is my story unfinished. And this is the story, this is the unfinished story of my efforts to rescue you from your rebellion against God. And it's traced through Noah, it's traced to Terah, and it's traced now through Abraham. And so you find a reflection of this in Joshua 24. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Joshua was the one who led God's people into the promised land, Canaan. Long ago our fathers, your fathers, lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, hey, beginning to sound familiar, the father now of Abraham, and we know that his name will, will be changed if we keep on reading this book and hearing the messages with us. And of Nahor, and what's the description of Terah? They serve other gods. In other words, when they live in Ur of Chaldeans and then in Haran, they were idolaters. They were worshippers of many gods, man-made gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him to the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Then from Abraham I gave him Isaac. So you trace the story of the Bible finally to Jesus. We have highlighted this two, three times in the series because we cannot but lead to His ultimate climax and fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 3, is the son, the son of Joseph, the son of... And it goes on, by the time he arrives at verse 34, he's the son of, very familiar, from chapter... 11, the son of Abraham, very familiar from chapter 11, the son of Terah, very familiar, the son of Nahor, and by the time you get to verse 38, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the storyline of the Bible, the heart of what we call the gospel, the good news of God. This is now the finished story of God. So a gospel lesson from Terah, reflecting from Joshua 24, God is always working to what? God is always working to rescue us, to snatch us out of idolatry into the worship of Him, the true and living God. 
God is always walking us from self-made gods, self-made rescue, self-made salvation to finding true salvation in the true God. And that's what he was doing with Terah, leading him from the land of Mesopotamia, leading him from the land of Babylonia, so that he will go and under God, worship God in the land of Canaan. And that will be the story of Israel fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Which leads us, do you believe as you listen to this, live stream, here in Singapore, anywhere, whatever you do not know what's happening in the world, in the confusion that's now, God is working, He's always working to lead you, to snatch you, rescue you out of idolatry, rescue you out of your own independence so that you will worship Jesus? Or are you going in the wrong direction from the rightful worship of God and Jesus to the wrongful trust of your own power and wisdom? And so a tale of two cities, Babylon, self-made, self-rule, self-saving, self-redemption. Jerusalem is God-made. Jerusalem is God-ruled by His law, by His word. And Jerusalem is about God saving His people finally through His Son who comes to usher in the kingdom of God. So can you remember how we started our time? We started our time by reading from a passage in Revelation. And Revelation 21 tells us that in the end, the city of Jerusalem will come down. Right? And so before we understand the fullness of that, Revelation 18 says this, After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is, is what? Finally, fallen, fallen is Babylon. She become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, unclean bird, every unclean and detestable beast, and clean, fresh from Genesis chapter 6 to 9, uncleanness all has to do with idolatry. And so spiritual idolatry, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. From idolatry will come immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. When we choose to build our shining towers, in our shining cities, empty of God, devoid of God, forgetful of God, forsaking of God, our Babels have four characteristics, four Ps. They are pretentious. They look like the real thing, but they are not the real thing. They are full of pleasures, seducing God's people away from God. It's filled with prosperity, but at the same time, Babylon would also be known for a fourth P, the persecution of God's people. And when you read in the Old Testament, Daniel and his generation, they experienced this. So whatever you do not know about our man-made Babylons, the spirit of Babylon, it promises more than it delivers. The world that we live in will say, man plus science and technology, we will solve every problem and finally we might be able to cure sin and reverse death. Actually, I correct myself. 
The world pretends there is no such word called sin. And if we pretend long enough there's no such word called sin, then maybe there's no such thing called death. We can't pretend away sin and death. Because Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And the walls that we build, they take more than it gives. And Jesus will say, what does it prosper a man, benefit a man, that we gain the whole world, but we lose our soul. And so we started our time. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new what? The new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. And what's so great about this God-made city? How do you know it's God-made? It's not ground up. It's top-down. It's given to us. It's top-down. And what's so great about this city? What's so great about this city is verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, finally, 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 as much as we made every effort to forsake God, empty our lives of God, our politics of God, our education of God, our families of God, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be their God. And because God will be with us finally, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so the whole Bible is looking for the old way of living to pass away. A whole world of us ruling ourselves, creating our own paradise, but ultimately, we just need viruses to remind us that we cannot build Tower of Babels to cancel this. And so, lessons for us. Somebody send me this. Can you see it? One counter, right? Coronavirus, and you line up here to be safe. That, that counter has lots of people going to it. The next counter... Jesus is coming, how to be saved, S-A-V-E-D. The coronavirus counter is how to be safe, S-A-F-E. Notice there's no one lining up for the Jesus counter. And I thought, that's not bad. I told the person to send me this, yeah, that's pretty good, right? And isn't that us? We think that the most important thing now is simply to be safe from this virus. Even as we are safe from this virus, we will still die because the wages of sin is death. So we can try to find our own way out. And our own way out, somebody sent this, right? And he's really good in this. You have heard of the financial scandal in Malaysia that has almost bankrupted that nation. And the person at the center of that storm is a man called J. Lo, right? So we are looking for answers, we are looking for models, and somebody said that J-Lo is the model of social distancing. That he's perfected it, that the whole world is after him, but nobody seems to catch him. Of course, it's a light-hearted thing. He's surely not the model of anything if he's responsible for that scandal. But it's actually a light-hearted way of a deep, heavy-hearted thing. Are we going to listen to God's solution for us? 
God's solution for us is none other than the loving sacrifice of His own Son, taking God's anger for our pride and rebellion against Him, taking our sin and washing us clean to make us the people of God. So the last two weeks I've highlighted one of our heroes in Singapore from SARS. He was Dr. Alex Chow, who flew all the way back from America, though he didn't need to, to try and do something. And in doing so, he got infected and he passed away. And so today I read to you from one of his daughters, writing a testimony of him. My father did so anyway at the cost of his life, and I wonder what motivated him. This was the final paragraph of my father's final letter that we found. The final paragraph of the final letter that Dr. Alex Chow wrote. All of us will enter a new year facing economic and global, uh, global political uncertainty. As we stand at the threshold of 2003, let us be reminded that a new page in the history of mankind began 2,000 years ago, when the birth of a tiny baby brought new hope and peace and new relationship between God and man. It's hope that carried my father through the worst-case scenario and hope that carries me now, says his daughter. For unto us was given a wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. As we enter, all enter into this new, younger, new year together, our wish and prayer for you is to experience and enjoy the precious gift and divine blessing which will see us through the most challenging times of our lives. Of course, when my father wrote this in 2003, he didn't know it was going to be his last year on earth. But it's interesting that he held on to the truest hope. The truest hope is not men plus medicine will find our way out of this. But God has given us the Messiah. To Him we turn and find new life and new hope. And so we need to challenge ourselves with this. I get sent so many good things. And here is one of my favourite cartoons, Charlie Brown. On the left-hand side, Charlie Brown saying to Snoopy, the world is suddenly very crazy. And Snoopy is absolutely a Christian. Good thing, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Does it take a cartoon to remind us that we're not going to get out of this apart from God rescuing us finally? Not from viruses, but indeed from sin and from death. So trusting Jesus as Lord, this is too small to see on the right-hand side, but I thought it was good because as we live now with a, a flood of bad news, day by day, moment by moment, moment by moment, it overwhelms us, it totally overwhelms us what we can do, what we cannot do. And after a while, if you, can't, if you don't distinguish between what I can do and what I cannot control, it will lead you to be paralysed by fear. This is what people are doing. They are lining up. This is what people are doing. They are, this is what people are doing. The, the supermarket shelves are empty. This is what people are doing. And it leads to this. So every day now, 
my wife and I, Mona, we take our walks, our walks, our prayer times, our communion times. And just that evening, I, I just said to Mona in the car, or just when we got started walking, I started to ask about one of our people in our small group, what we call our discipleship group. Then we, I realized, I remembered that his daughter was studying overseas. So I said, let's pray for all our students who are studying overseas to return. So after prayer, I came back, I sent him a message. And what do you think he sent me back? The father. He sent me back a photo of his daughter arriving at Changi Airport. You couldn't get more coincidental than that, right? We prayed that very evening. I didn't know what his plans were. I didn't know what, what the family's plans. And all of a sudden, the picture was, she's arrived back. One of my grandnephews is studying overseas. And so, by God's grace, he managed to get a ticket. He's flying back home to, to Malaysia. Halfway through the stopover point in, in, in a place in Europe, they said they had an incident on board the plane. There was a suspected case, and boy, everybody was panicking. Everybody was panicking. So when I heard that, uh, when I got that message from the, the parent, uh, I, I tried calling my grandnephew, and I managed to call him and say, let me just pray for you. We can work out what we cannot control and what we can control, what we can do. What we can do is to tell people that there is a God and Jesus is Lord. Amen? That is what we can do. So we can start by being wise and being wise by surrendering our lives to believe in Jesus. And here in ARPC, we've given this acronym, is go nuts with Him. A non-negotiable surrender of your life, trust in Him as Saviour and Lord. And then beginning with that point, Spending time with Him, undistracted communion day by day against the fear of this world for total devotion. So I just wrote a pastoral letter and I said, fear, you know what is fear? Fear is a life-sapping infection. And some of you could be sitting here or there and this fear is sapping the life out of you. But faith and particularly faith in Jesus, is a life-giving contagion. And I said at the end of the pastoral letter, we must choose. You must choose, and I must choose. And so I highly commend to you, as Jesus showed in his life, he would go to lonely places and mountain sites to pray, to commune with God and get right with God before he headed to the cross. I highly invite encourage you to do so. So in one of my walks, this is who I encountered. The peacock was so attracted to me, it came towards me. See, I knew I was attractive. No, my friends, of course, I saw the very attractive peacock and approached the peacock for a selfie. And it said, yes. So don't forget to get out there with your family and your loved ones to pray and to praise God and worship God to overcome cabin fever. So somebody sent me a note, I don't know, it's fake news, that the number of divorces in, in China has gone up because of the lockdown. The number of people fighting has gone up. So there is an indescribable yet undeniable goodness that comes from beholding God's beauty and majesty and glory in creation. I highly commend that we go out there and pray and we meditate on God and we claim the Lordship of Jesus. And so self-care is needed. And once you... Love God 
and you can love yourself and care for yourself, you can go forth and love others. So we have a mental wellness ministry. We're thinking of how to help people through COVID-19 pressures, anxiety, that will lead to new dimensions of mental unwellness. And so we got this week, because of the movement uh, order in Malaysia, movement control order in Malaysia, three, four hundred thousand Malaysians now have to find ways of getting across the causeway and finding accommodation, especially as they work here. And so some places have temporary shelters for them, and we're helping. Then we had a lot of leftover water bottles. Guess what happened? One of our staff, Pastor Sinkun, right, went to deliver 50 boxes of water, two fans to a temporary shelter for Malaysians. And then as they took this photo and sent this photo around to the staff and the leaders, the more astute one noticed that only one person was sweating. <laughs> that was Pastor Sinkun. The other person is one of our leaders. Say, why is he not sweating? Why? <laughs> so anyway, we laughed about it and we need such things. But friends, when we are loved by God, then we learn to love ourselves and care for ourselves. We can go forth and love and share the message of love. And that's what it is. That's not living in Babel. That's living in God's kingdom. That's not being wise in our own eyes. That's being wise in God's eyes by accepting humbly that Jesus is Lord. Now is the time, not for us, as the people of Jesus, to be fearful, but to be faithful. If it's possible, let's stand and pray together and let's sing this closing song, Jesus is Lord. We hear your word and we pray that we will take it to heart. Help us to acknowledge that the spirit of Babylon is the spirit of our rebellion and our pride against you. And if you did not check this, we would be unlimited in our unity to sin against you. And so we have this unfinished business of rebellion against you. But thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have brought your story of salvation to an end through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now you empower us by your Spirit to go forth and share this wonderful message that there is hope beyond this world where we will all, we will all face our death. Help us to turn to Jesus to be unafraid of life, unafraid of disease and unafraid of death because Jesus has come to love us into the kingdom. And so we look forward to this and pray that you find us faithful so that you may be glorified. Amen.